0: This was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets.
1: So the number for me was a number that would allow me to
0: never have to work. I feel like we
1: got top, top, top.
0: I went from a sale of, you
1: know, $500,000 to in debt.
0: $192 million. This
1: is Built to Sell Radio with your host, John Warlow. So when's the last time you read a book on selling your company? My guess is you've never read a book on selling your company. Why bother when the only books out there read like textbooks filled with acronyms and terms you've never heard of written by people who make it their job to make themselves look and sound smarter than you? Why bother? Well, the art of selling your business tries to do exactly the opposite, it features the stories of the founders I've listened to for the podcast. I've taken their best practices, their secret hacks, and bundled them into a storytelling format so that you can take away the key lessons, the action plan, the the field guide without sifting through the boring textbook that is most books on the topic of selling your company. You can get it at builttosell.com slash selling. Before every episode of Built to Sell Radio, I chat with the guests. I give them an overview of the show, and I'm like, yeah, we try to point out some of the tips and tricks of how to sell a company, some of the gotchas in the negotiation. And invariably, the response is, man, I wish I'd known about this show before I sold my last company. Because, look, we don't get a chance to sell our business every day. For most of us, it's a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And yet, we can make unforced errors along the way that can cost us hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars if we get it wrong. And my next guest, Kerry Moretti, is admittedly a little bit of a technology nerd. He wasn't really savvy about selling a company, the value of his company, yet he went through the sale and learned a lot of tips and tricks along the way. Here to tell you the entire story and the things he might do differently had it it to do all over again is Kerry Moretti.
0: Terry Moretti, welcome to Build Cell Radio. John, thank you for welcoming me. Thank you for having me on the show.
1: Yeah. So tell me a little bit about New Sports Media. What did you guys do?
0: Uh, New Sports Media was a, um, a company that focused on real-time stats and scoring, primarily for hockey. Uh, but we, uh, we also did all the sort of ancillary services that came with that. So launching websites for teams, leagues, et cetera.
1: Okay, so you would sell. So okay, so if I'm if I'm a huge fan of some team, and they're they're not on TV or I can't get to the game or whatever, I could I could pull up the stats and find out that my favorite player just took a shot on goal because you're tracking it in real time.
0: Exactly, that's exactly it. Yeah. Okay.
1: A lot of really really over energized type A parents try to see their kids and. How many goals they've got and how many penalty minutes they've got. Is that is that part of the
0: John Not just parents? I swear to God, I got calls from uncles and aunts. Like really you know, yeah, they and their ability to track down my personal information was (laughs) mind boggling. Like I took personal like on my personal cell phone, not even my work number. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'd be like, I like little Timmy had uncle, six shots on gold, not five shots on gold. Ab- yeah, what, yeah. what are you doing? Uh, can you please change his stats because you know he's being scouted and uh this is yeah, this is big money for these kids yeah. and their family. So yeah. Oh for sure, for yeah. sure.
1: Did you bend any pressure? Did you ever change anybody's never, stats? no,
0: never. No, it was it that was a hard, hard stop for me. Yeah. Okay, so how did you get the
1: stats? Like, did you have rovers all around like at these games, or how did you actually get people like that sounds expensive to have people monitoring these games.
0: Yeah, no, I didn't. Um, actually, the, the service was quite inexpensive, um, a, uh, a mistake that after the sale they rectified very quickly. Um, but um, yeah, what we did was we worked with teams uh, in the beginning, and then eventually we sort of went up to the next level and we sold our services at the league level rather than just the team level. And they provided their own staff for scoring the game. So what we did was we provided the input tools. So the software that they would log into at you know on site, whether it's in an arena, were at a field, a stadium, mm-hmm. wherever it was, uh, they would log into our, you know, secure private portal. And we had all the tools available for scoring whatever game they were, uh, they were uh, needing to score. And Got then it. that so game if I'm comes a, into our servers.
1: Okay. So in the early days, if I'm a hockey team, y- y- someone on my staff would be responsible for updating league right. stat in, in real time. And then yeah, the, staff parents, volunteer. the yeah. right, parents, recruiters can be watching in real time league stat as a user. Got it. What was the business model? How did you make money?
0: Um, software as a service, really simple. The customer was the, like I said, in the beginning it was the teams. And then it uh, later, later on, it became the leagues.
1: And what would a league pay you on a monthly basis to have access to league stat for their teams?
0: Oh, that's a good question. You know, I'm, uh, it's been a few years now. Um, so it it can really vary. Um, so, for example, uh, I'm in Canada, uh, hence the the hockey angle there. Yeah. Um, and we did work with, for example, the Canadian Hockey League. The Canadian Hockey League, when we started working with them, had roughly sixty teams. But we also did work with leagues that had twelve teams. You know, we did work with a league in the UK that had, I think seven teams so um and then also you have you know the american hockey league was probably our best client um you know to this day i still have good personal relationships with that league and uh you know that league only had at the time we started with 28 they grew up to about 30 teams so half as many as the Canadian Hockey League, but they had over a million visitors a month, you know? So uh, the, the rates really varied by, by client and they would be based on the things you would typically do for software as a service. And that is number of users, number of teams, amount of data we'd have to store, number of touch points for scoring, and of course, web traffic. So we'd kind of weigh all these. And then for every league, it would be sort of a one-off pricing. We didn't have an a la carte model where they could just say, oh, I'll, I'll take this for $11 a month or anything like got that. We really were quite niche in that way.
1: SaaS is a beautiful business model, but it's expensive to get started because you're not getting all yeah. the money up front, you're getting it over time. How
0: did you finance the business? Oh, by going broke. Um, yeah. The, uh, I'm bootstrapped. So I, I think that your listeners will resonate uh, with, with my awful, sad story. But you know, I came, honestly, on, I'm going to be open with you here, John. I came close to bankruptcy twice um, in my journey uh, towards the eventual sale. Um, and uh, it was really tough. I, I essentially, it was a passion play. You know, I didn't do this because I had a brilliant idea. I didn't have some. You know, I, I don't have an MBA. Like I don't. I didn't just strategically do the Jeff Bezos thing where I said, "Ah, oh, there's a market opportunity here in hockey in Canada." Uh, you know what? I had. I was. I had a little business, little software business. You know, I built custom applications for clients, and this was in the late '90s, right? Just around the dot-com boom, and everyone was jumping on the internet, and I was getting interest here and there. And it wasn't so much that I saw an opportunity as I had a couple of clients that actually ran hockey teams. Um, one of them was the, I, I can say this, uh, at the time they were in Brampton, they're no longer there, Brampton Battalion, you know, and I was also doing some work for uh, St. Michael's Hockey down in Toronto. So sure. these are like just two little clients. I, was, I think I was charging 50 bucks a month for a website, you know, and, and monitoring, right? And I was chatting with the president of, uh, of one of the teams, And I said to him, I said, you know, why don't you guys, you know, do real-time data? Like, why don't we update your website so, you know, the fans and everyone can watch from home? And he's like, what, how does it, like, you know, at that time, you got to remember, late 90s, he didn't really get how the internet worked. He had not actually been on any websites at the time, right? This is like pretty early days. So I sketched out this idea for him. And he's like, that sounds really good. He says, you know, we're really struggling because... We have a radio contract, but we can't get get the broadcast. Can you do the audio broadcasting too? Can you stream radio? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, let me look into it. So so with this one little team, we set up a real-time scoring system. We had live stats. Like I, on top of the scoring, I also had stats for the players. Um, and then I started doing audio streaming. I don't remember even what software I was using, like real player or something like that. We did the whole thing. This is for this team. I did it for nothing. Like nothing. I, I charge them a little bit to do it, but I was doing this nights and weekends. I mean, that's when they play, right? So during the day, nine to five, there I am building websites. I got a few staff, you know, very modest uh, business. No big deal. And at night, I'm heading driving out to Brampton, watching hockey games. I'm sitting with their broadcaster. I, I built them. I built them a recording studio. Like I, I went to uh, Long and McQuaid. I remember I bought a mixing panel. I bought mics. I bought, I had cabling, like, I mean, this is like scotch tape and bailing wire. It was hilarious. And I loved it. So when you say like, how do you fund it? I didn't, I just did it all for nothing. Okay. And, so how does it go it from
1: the Brampton battalion to a SAS company? Like what was the, yeah. like, tell me about, about that journey.
0: I I can't I'm not going to give you all the steps in the middle because it's kind of boring, Uh, but really uh, it essentially worked like this. One team became two, became three, became five, became ten. And at one point I was getting very close to sort of what I would call critical mass. Right. So within a given league, if you have enough teams that are clients for a given service, you have a door opener there where you can approach the league itself. And that's uh, literally, it was organic. So uh, that's exactly what happened. So I, I got one team. Uh, and of course, word gets out pretty fast when you're doing things like live audio broadcast in an era when no one else was doing it, live stats, et cetera. Other teams call and say, hey, I was talking to Joe over at uh, the Brampton Battalion. He said, you did this. Can you do that for us? And so, you know, I made lots of mistakes. It was disaster. I started, I gave everyone the same price right? This like 30, 50 bucks a month for all this stuff. And it wasn't until I was doing five, six teams, I realized man, I am losing my shirt. I'm driving around places on weekends. I'm helping people set up audio mixing. Yeah, <laughs> it was crazy. stupid. So I did that for a couple of years and I, I finally started saying, okay, I got to charge you guys something. And, and so kind of, individually negotiated with each team a more rational rate i dropped all the audio stuff because that was really expensive and there was uh there was another it company at the time that was doing that sort of thing so i'm like yeah go get that done somewhere else or get a radio station to do it for you and uh then the league approached me like i got approached by the league uh and they said can you do this for all of our teams like we want to sign one contract for everybody and that got the ball rolling that while i was in disc- by the way that took over a year to get done because, you, you know, you don't sign these contracts overnight.
1: And this was the Canadian Hockey League or the GTHL?
0: It actually wasn't. It was the Ontario Hockey League. Ontario yeah, Hockey League. Yeah.
1: So as, as you built out the business and started going to other hockey leagues, did you stay with the same sort of grassroots model where you pick up individual teams and then get critical mass and then go to the administration of the entire league? Or did after you kind of figured it out, so to speak, did you start going directly to the league itself?
0: Yeah, the latter. I, um, I, I, was, I really thought my business model, uh, and it took a very good personal friend of mine, by the way, uh, to point this out to me, I thought my business model was brilliant. I was just going to keep getting teams until I have thousands of them. And I'm going to charge them all 30 bucks or 50 bucks a month. I'm going to get so rich. And he's like, dude, you're losing so much money. Like he's, 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 a, he's an accountant. He's a CPA. And he sat down and he looked at my books. He did this business analysis. He says, you're going to, you are going to be fully bankrupt any day. Now you can't sustain this. The more customers you get, the more money you're going to lose. And I'm like, what? And, and he sort of pointed out, he said, you have, you do have a decent model here at the league level. Right. He said, and so once he kind of pointed it out, it became pretty obvious. I'm like, yeah. So, okay.
1: what was he pointing
0: out? So, at an individual team level, you weren't charging enough to. I just wasn't. Yeah. Uh, you just can't. Uh, at the time, anyways, again, the financial model, you know, let, we're fast forwarding now 15 years here, right? When I started. Um, the financial model just couldn't bear it. Like there wasn't enough online advertising revenue out there. Teams really weren't focused on the internet. They were like, and, and to a certain extent, they still aren't. Their gate is their money. Like, they don't sell tickets. I don't know how, to be honest. They're all surviving this pandemic. But without that, they just don't have the revenue. So the, the web was really a bit of a cost center for them more than a revenue driver. Now, that model has massively changed in the last, I'd say, 10 years. But in at the time, way? that was we- the issue
1: bring us up to present day, like what's, what's different now?
0: Well, I'd say, I mean, if you're a sports fan, you, you understand this, but let's, I guess we're talking to non-sports fans as well. So now the internet is the model, right? So if you're not online, if your team uh, or your sport doesn't have a a phenomenal online presence, and I don't just mean real-time scoring, I mean, full stats, interactivity, chat rooms with players. I mean, it's uh, the access fans get, to their, you know, favorite athletes is, is pretty amazing. Um, hmm. If we think back, I mean, uh, when I was a kid, a thousand years ago, um, I, you know, if I wanted to meet a, a famous hockey player, I mean, I had to go down to a, a big stadium and, and stand in a line or- Maple or, Leaf or,
1: Gardens with your like yeah. your
0: hand and say, come, you know, come Sittler, I want to see your autograph, whatever. Right. Sign my your, hockey card, you know, yeah, or my yeah, baseball yeah. card. But now it's not like that. You've got you can chat with players on Twitter anytime you want, right? Yeah. They've got yeah. Instagram accounts, TikTok, you know.
1: Okay. So I want to get into what you did to pull yourself out of these near bankruptcy situations. So it sounds like the business model in the early days was to Jay Z chain your way to these teams and then get to mm-hmm. the, the league. You, you switched it and, and went directly to the league. So that helped, number one. Right. Were there other things you did to change the financial model to, to get yourself out of, you know, the, the, making it more advantageous from a financial perspective?
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, so I tried to come up with, um, uh, I, uh, and I mentioned this before about the sort of the a la carte thing. So when I first switched from the team to the league model, you know, the first thing I said was, okay, I need to set a rate. Right. I need to I need to publish this on my website. I have to have a price so that lots of leagues can see me and I can sign up hundreds or thousands of them around the world. Uh, That that failed. Um, I I very quickly found that I couldn't I couldn't set a fixed rate for these leagues. For one thing, um, the leagues I was dealing with at the time, I started with some fairly professional level leagues. I didn't start with, for example, you know, minor hockey associations. You know, you mentioned the GTHL, for example. I didn't speak. Uh, I don't think I spoke to anyone at the GTHL until I was basically approaching the era when I was uh, in the selling, selling the application, like selling to a, an acquirer, right? So I started uh, pretty much at the top. I spoke with the American Hockey League. They're the they're the league that is. Um, uh, the feeder to the NHL, you sure. know, there's sort of the, the affiliate of the NHL, um, the ECHL again, uh, similar to the HL They're they're affiliated with the NHL, the Canadian hockey league. So a lot of people think that junior hockey in Canada is amateur. It's, it's pretty much a pro sport. There's some cities where, uh, you know, they'll, they'll watch the local junior hockey team, the major juniors before they'll go to an NHL game. You know, it's pretty hardcore here in Canada. So, so um,
1: yeah, yeah. Keep going. No, I was going to say, so back to the changes you made. So you focused on the conferences, mm-hmm. but then I'm curious to know, again, you, you kind of alluded to these near bankruptcy situations. Yeah. I got to believe there were other things you did to make the business model hum beyond just focusing on the conferences. You, you were getting into the conversation around pricing. Was there something you did yeah. around pricing?
0: Yeah. So the first thing was, was to come up with a sort of a a rational formula, one that I couldn't, uh, couldn't broadcast because there was no, I couldn't just say it's, you know, $10 per team per month or anything like that. I came up with sort of a a flat rate per month that I started discussions with at the league level. And then what I did was I said, look, um, I can't do this. Like I don't have, I don't have a a VC backing me. I don't have any money. I literally have me, you know, um, and I have a, a mortgage. That's it. Right. So I can get a credit line. Um, That was it. So when the leagues came in and, you know, as they do with SaaS products, they're like, well, I, I love your product and we're happy to pay, but we really needed to do this or that. So the second piece of my financial tweak that solved all my problems was, okay. we have two parts. Then we have our SaaS model and we have professional services. So you get what you get. The way it works is the way it works. We're not going to, you know, customize. I mean, we will bend over backward from a customer service perspective, but our application is our application. It's very expensive to change. You want to change? No problem. That's where professional services come in. So I had two revenue streams. And honestly, some years my professional services were better than my SaaS revenues. I know that doesn't, you know, from an acquirer perspective, that's a a no-no. Everybody wants their MRR really, really high, but I, there was nothing I could do. I was bootstrapped. you know. I, I was self-funded. The only way I could make it work um, was this. And you know what? It did. Like Once I got those two things figured out, A, that I don't have to give everyone the same price because they're not getting the same output. And B, I can charge to upgrade my software if a client asks for it and they're willing to pay for it. So once I had those two things sorted, I never had another near bankruptcy again after that.
1: Awesome. With regards to the professional services, uh, did you charge for those up front? Did you build them over time? Was it staged building? Like, how did you charge? If I said, I love your product, but I want it to be in pink instead of black. Uh, you said, sure, that'll be an extra X. Was the X build up front over time at the end? How did you build the professional services?
0: Yeah, the I mean, there were a couple different ways of doing it, but by and large, a lot like any um, any small IT company would. Um, So we had a small number of clients. You know, we had dozens, verging on hundreds. We didn't have thousands, right? So um, it was really easy. It sort of a, a little bit would depend on the request. If something was really big, and I saw a few clients were asking for it, then I would say, hey, I'm I'm sending this out. Anybody who wants it, this is it's a fixed rate you're gonna get it. Anyone who doesn't sign on and pay may or may not get it one day, but we're not gonna be deploying it across our network. You know, this is gonna be, and we had ways of feature gating. So we were able to actually release certain features for certain clients so that we didn't get any of that sort of backbiting where, oh, you know, how come you gave it to them for nothing and I had to pay you? So that avoided all that. In terms of flat rate versus hourly, um, uh, there was a little bit of an art to that, uh, less less than math or science. Uh, a little bit was, you know, what I felt that the customer would be, you know, willing to pay, you know, would they be okay if I actually charge them my real time? And, and sometimes they weren't, and I really wanted the feature. So again, comes back to the passion thing, right? Yeah. Uh, at the time I was a coder, so I would just code at night in my spare time and, and eat the loss and, and have a better product as a result.
1: I get the fact that there was a, uh, differing prices and is a little bit of art and the science, uh. I'm actually really curious about how you chose to invoice the customer for the custom work. Mm. Uh, So I I appreciate that it varied a little bit depending on the request and who was asking. But once you had agreed that, you know, you were going to make that customization for, let's just put a number on it, uh, $10,000. So that's what the the customization was going to cost. Did you do the work, send the invoice at the end? Did you send the invoice at the beginning? Did you cut it up into payments? Like How did you build the 10 grand?
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Simple question answer. So normally uh, we would do the work. We would release the feature. We would have the customer validated that, yes, this is, you have delivered what I wanted. And at the very end of that month, it would go on the invoice that had their next monthly SaaS. So we also build the monthly SaaS fees uh, monthly. Got it. Yeah. That sounded weird. Uh, But you know, like, so January one, they'd get uh, an invoice for for February's fees. So the next round of invoices, and again, we did this to save money on administration and accounting. We would just throw any professional services that were approved and deployed. We just throw them onto the next invoice and they have net 30 to pay.
1: Got it. Okay. That's helpful. How many employees did you have at, at, at the company at its height before you decided to sell? 27. 27. Maybe and what were they all doing?
0: Kind of. Oh, God, I don't know. It was such a mess. So I I should I should also say Newsport Media did a lot more than just the real time stats and scoring. The professional services kind of spun up and it turned into its own beast. Like we started doing websites for sports teams and associations that had nothing to do with our core product. Mm. Um, And at the time, I still had that small business mentality. So I was like, someone calls me and says, hey, can you do this? The answer is, of course. If you're gonna pay me, I'll do it. Whatever you know, we build websites. Back then, we didn't care what the hell kind of website we built. We just build it and charge. So it made a bit of a mess. It's actually what led to the sale in the end. I got so our company got so wide. Like I said, 27 staff. I'd say of those 27, less than half were actually part of League Stat. Quite a bit less than half, I'd say, maybe seven six, seven of them. So what are all these other staff doing? You know, we had some people doing project management, custom development, integration. We had retail web stores. We were building shops and websites. Yeah, we were, we were really scattered.
1: And so you were kind of alluding to the, this, what I wanted to get into next, which was actually the the decision to sell LeagueStat. So you're at 27 employees, seven of whom are working on this SaaS product called LeagueStat, but there's also a lot of a lot of other stuff going on. Was there a, a straw that broke the camel's back that, that made you say, okay, now I'm going to sell what, what Was there a triggering event of some sort?
0: No, there really wasn't. Um, that was kind of a, kind of a funny thing. Uh, like I said, it wasn't like, I had no, um, I have no illusions to intelligence or business acumen. I don't have either of those. I'm just a, a guy. I'm actually a, just a nerd. I'm barely a guy. Um, I love coding. I love writing software. Now I mostly manage programmers, um, but at the time I kind of lucked into a lot of it. You know, a lot of good timing, being around the, the at you know in the early days of the internet. Uh, literally, you know, when SaaS was just growing up, I didn't even know it was called SaaS at the time. To Mm. be honest. So so when it came to the triggering event, it wasn't so much that there was an event as it was a I look back at it now and I'd say, you know, I it was clear that I was moving this way. I just didn't know it. So I had never been part of an acquisition or sale. I I was very much a, you know, an entrepreneur for sure, love building new products and applications, but I never thought of myself, you know, the way they did in the valley. I didn't have that dot-com mentality um or that startup culture thing. I was I was uh, like my dad. You know, my dad's a hairdresser. You know? So what and, happened? Did, did someone uh, approach you or did you? Like, they to, did. Yeah, it started uh, the very first year. Uh, the Before I even had my first league launched, um, uh, someone approached me to acquire the software and it was a, a silly offer. So I was making more than what they had offered. So, And then what happened was, I'd get somebody would come along like every year some someone would acquire and and they rarely ever talked numbers. Sometimes I couldn't even tell that they were making a play at, for me. Like, I, I mean, I was that clueless, honest to God, like I'd have I'd get these out of the blue inquiries from a VC literally saying, hey, you know, we're interested in in businesses and startups. You know, would you like to have a conversation? I'm like, I don't know who this guy is. Yeah. <laughs> right? And and not even follow up. But after a little while, you you can only do this so many times and not eventually clue in no matter how dumb I am. So (laughs) I eventually figured out that, oh, there's people interested in my software. And once I figured that out, then things changed pretty fast. I'd say from the moment, that aha moment, like, hey, this is a thing that I can sell and people will give me money for to the moment that I actually found an acquirer that was a good fit. I'd say that was about four years. Wow. yeah, I'm not that fast. <laughs>
1: no, no, I, I didn't mean to suggest that it was, I mean, I, I just, it's incredible. that That's a, so what happened in those four years? Did you, So I assume you started to answer those inquiries slightly differently.
0: Yeah. So in total, by the way, it was almost 15 years from start to sale. So it was really just the first nine or 10, I was not interested. I, I literally, why would I sell my income? I, it was sure. the only way, it was how I paid my mortgage, raised my kids. I mean, it's how I, earned a living. And I sure didn't want to get a job. After you do this long enough, you can't work for anybody. I'm totally unemployable. So uh, yeah. So what happened was I kind of clued in at some point, you know, maybe, I don't know, 2010, 2012. And then I started, uh, I guess I just matured a little. And when the offers started coming in, I really started looking at them. So I started having more serious conversations and I really didn't like what I saw to be honest. Um, Remember, this was not a planned thing that I did. I did it because I love, <laughs> love sports and I love stats.
1: What love didn't it. you like about the offers? Like what was not appealing?
0: Honestly, it was, it was never the money. It was never the money. What Because in most cases, I didn't even get to the fiscal discussion. It was what they proposed to do with my, my with the application. I thought of it as mine. Um, I just didn't think it was a good fit. Most of them were companies that were, trying to make sort of a strategic move or expanding into sports in general. And they just wanted to throw, check, they wanted to check a box. So yeah, now we have hockey, you know? Um, and I'm not going to name names. They're all out there. They're all still out there. All these companies are still there. It's a small space, you know, mm-hmm. um, IT for sports, very small space. So I just wasn't interested. And then one day, um, the eventual acquirer came along and uh, he didn't approach me directly, the the owner of the company. It was, uh, you know, someone who knew me through one of my clients that I had met at a hockey conference and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he said, hey, uh, you know, I'm doing some work with this great new company that I think we should, we could do some work together. I thought it was a, that he wanted to buy my software, not my software. I thought he just wanted to become a customer, to be honest. Mm. It was a strange, uh, it was a strange email. I said, yeah, sure. You know, uh, and so I, we met, we had lunch and coffee and it was a very weird lunch. Cause I'm sitting there thinking, oh, this guy is working for a league and then at some point I'm like, what are you saying to me? Like we're 30 minutes into our, our chit chat. I'm like, I have no idea what you're asking. Like, are you looking to become a customer? He goes, no, no, no. I think we can, we can, we, there's some synergies and like, he's throwing out all these business terms and I like, I have no idea what he's talking about.
1: To be, let me just I, I want to go That's further curious. Cause I love this guy. <laughs> Kira, was, was this, um, was this the, the the president of the company that you were having lunch no. with, or was it the the kind of broker, not broker, but the middleman that that you were? He was
0: actually n- neither. Actually, he was just an employee at the company. And I guess they had had some kind of executive meeting, and say, and the the owner was like, "Okay, guys, we have some problems here. We need more software. I don't know, like some kind of we're going to expand. Like like I've got some money to spend. I want to acquire." I want to make good strategic acquisitions. I'm just guessing. I never, I really never got around to asking how it happened.
1: But this, so this guy's an employee of this company yeah, and he's, he's talking a, about all these big words, synergy and, yeah, yeah. and optimization. Partnership and, partnership. and work partnership. together. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And then, so what, like, how did it go from a bunch of double talk to like, at what point did you actually realize, Oh no, he, he actually wants to acquire us.
0: Yeah. He, he name dropped. Uh, he dropped a couple of names and, then I'm like, Oh, this is not, these aren't customer names. These are something else. These are money. These are money people. So I, uh, then I was like, I, I, I stopped and I said, okay, are we talking about this, an acquisition? He says, yes, we are. I said, okay, maybe I should talk to whoever, (laughs) you know, like, I'm like, okay, so we got to stop talking. I need to talk to the right person. And that, and then,
1: (laughs) and what did he say to that? Cause that could be viewed by some people as a bit offensive, right? Like what you don't want to talk to me. Like, did he, did he take offense to that?
0: Uh, I don't know. Like, well, John, you know, you know, I haven't known each other very long. I think we're going on 30 minutes now. <laughs> yep. I'm a very blunt guy. Like I'm not a, like, you know, Newsport Media had no sales staff, by the way. Literally, we, when we were at 27 people, we had, I think, three project managers, 23 programmers, like literally hands on keys, individuals who wrote code and one office administrator, who, by the <laughs> way, worked part time no sales, no strategy, no marketing. That's all. We were just code slingers. Right. So I don't have a lot of the skills of being nice. So when I said this to him, I don't know. I may actually have pissed him off. I genuinely don't know, but we're still friends. So, so
1: where does it go from there? So you're like, I got to talk to the decision maker here. Yeah. So where, what next?
0: Well, then it was, um, you know, it's a, I'd have to check my calendar to say exactly what next, but basically it was a series, a string of meetings. Um, immediately, he put me in contact with. You know, this was a, a private acquisition, so um, it was really, you know, person to person. Uh, the two of us, you know, it started with a meeting, actually, not even a phone call. Just said, you know, uh, and they invited me to their offices, sat down, chit chatted, um, and uh, I really loved what they had to say. You know, you asked me before what was the decision, and at that time, like I said, I'd. For about four years, I had already been thinking I should find a home for Leagues that it's kind of outgrown me. I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a, not a great business, uh, individual. Like I don't have these, these big visions or, or how to manage, or I certainly didn't at the time. I feel like I know a hell of a hell of a lot more now, but mm. at the time I knew that if Leagues that, if I really wanted the software that I love, that I was passionate about, if I wanted it to become a world beater and grow even more, I either had to get a lot of money from someone. And I knew nothing at the time about VCs and investment. I know a lot more now. Or I had to find another company in the space that had pockets deep enough to take my software to the next level. And and all those other acquisitions, they weren't either of those. They were either just looking to check a box, which meant to me, my software was dead. Or I frankly just didn't like the company. I didn't like their chance of success. So this meeting came around or this series of meetings. And the more I learned, the more I liked. They were, they were very niche. They were very focused. The, the new owner. Was, sorry, who
1: is the, who is this company we're talking about?
0: Hockey tech. Sorry. It's hockey tech. Called and, hockey tech.
1: Okay. And what, and what, what, what is their business model? I don't know anything about them.
0: Um, well, they are literally uh, what they were at the time is what they still are. Now they, uh, they are everything hockey when it comes to technology, they provide it all. So video streaming services, um, scouting, uh, data, stats, scoring, websites, the, you know, soup to nuts, um, all the way from the pros, NHL, all the way down to, uh, you know, rec hockey.
1: And selling to the leagues themselves, just like you? Correct. Yeah.
0: They they had league clients. Uh, at the time, they were they were working with, I believe, almost all the NHL teams as well. So I really, really was impressed with the organization. Got it. Yeah.
1: Got it. And and obviously very focused on what you were focused on and so forth. So at what point did the specter of valuation come up? I mean, like, did you have any sense of what you thought on a multiple of revenue you thought your company might be worth? Like what was before they made an offer? Did you have any inkling of what it might be worth?
0: You know, it's funny. Uh, I feel like such a dummy now that, you know, I say to you, you know, uh, it was around, you know, three, four years that I was thinking about it. You know, in that three, four years, I never really settled on a number. I never really had like, here's how I'm going to do it. I I just sort of got this idea that I knew I needed money. I wanted, I was so focused on the software, you know, and this is going to sound a little narcissistic, but I really thought I had built something great and that it could be even better. Um, But I never really, (laughs) it wasn't to me a way to get rich uh, or to make money. So I never focused on the money side. I kept thinking about how do I make this literally the number one stats application in the world? And that's all I focused on. The money, the, the exact numbers. I mean, I, I also vaguely had a, you know, I, I wasn't gonna sell it for $50,000, right? So there, there was a number in my head, but the real number didn't didn't occur to me until, uh, literally until, you know, we got to brass tacks, right? And we, we started, we signed all the NDAs. We started, you know, they started reviewing my books, all the numbers, invoices, receipts, and they got really low level. And that's when they said, hey, we would, you know, it, it was really a discussion between EBITDA and a multiple of revenue. That's what it came down to. So we start and uh, we discarded EBITDA pretty quick. I, I don't remember why, um, <laughs> probably because I, I, you know, uh, it was too complicated for me, maybe, who knows. Uh, and a multiple of revenue is so easy. Uh, you know, we just say, hey, it's, it's uh, you know, it's 1x, 2x, 3x, which one is it, you know, and then we start, and then there's the negotiation, right? So we, we started from here, you know, which was, we're going to go with a multiple of revenue, top line, keep it nice and simple, very congenial. There's not going to be lawyers and accountants screwing it all up. It's going to be, you know, one owner talking to another owner. And I had a partner at the time as well, um, a minority partner. And and we were very, very close. Still, we still are very, very close. And he's still my partner in one of my companies. So, um, but yeah, we just said, look, let, this is, uh, we're just, just a couple of people talking this through. Let's not overcomplicate this. And I really appreciated that approach because honestly, I had so little experience, very little. Got
1: it. Okay. So before they made an offer, did you, again, you, you didn't really have a sense of what you thought was fair as a multiple of revenue?
0: No, I didn't have a sense. Of, I mean, I knew it was going to be greater than one times revenue, and it would be less than ten times. Uh, you know, I of course I, you know, I see the news. Like I know, I see, you know, what what Uber was getting from VCs and what Facebook got from Andreessen. I mean, I'm not. I don't want to paint this picture that I, you know, I was a babe in the woods completely. Um, I had never gone through an acquisition myself, but I keep on top of my industry. Um, I've always been fascinated by the business of technology. Mm -hmm. So I had some ideas that we needed to be somewhere between, you know, one times and 10 times, and really a 10 times multiplier that that wasn't going to be in the cards for me, not at all. I mean, I wasn't running that kind of a business. This wasn't a business that had, you know, a global, you know, potential customer base, very niche. And I wanted to keep it that way. And I got that to me, like I said, the focus was let's find a number, even if it's, a number that uh, I f- would not feel as happy with, but that would guarantee a future for my software, then, then I was about, you know, I, this was not all about me getting an exit and retiring. I knew that no matter what I got, I wasn't going to move to Hawaii on the money. Yeah. No yeah. matter what. So why fight, you know?
1: So did they make the first move or did they ask you what do you want for it?
0: They asked first, absolutely. And what did you uh, say? I prevaricated Completely. I, what does varicated mean? Oh, I I waffled. I, I was well. Um, I don't know. Uh, blah, blah, blah blah. I had <laughs> no idea what to say, and I knew the question was coming. And uh, my my partner at the time and I we had talked about it, and I was just I don't know. I just couldn't say. I was I was i embarrassed.
1: Well, it probably was, it was a live move in the sense that, you know, he who starts first always loses a negotiation, or at least, you know, that there's, a, there's a philosophy around that. So what was their first offer in terms of multiple of of, uh, of revenue?
0: Well, they started right at the bottom, right? <laughs> they started uh, one at one time. X. Yeah, yeah, one time. So they're like, you know, what's the bare minimum we think we can get away with? You yeah, know? What was and, your and- reaction to that? Uh, actually yeah, I was, you know, even one times to me was actually not, not that bad. Like it was, it was not a bad number. Um, again, because I was more focused on the software, but yeah, you know, then, then we went, we went up from there, of course, I don't want to say how far or anything like that. Cause it, it was a private sale. So,
1: okay. Okay. No problem. So at, at what point did you guys, so when you're talking about one times or 10 times or like, you know, like the, the ranges and so forth of revenue, um, were you talking about the entire business, all 27 employees and the professional services as well? Or was was it was it really just the revenue associated with the, the product league stat?
0: Mm, uh, good question. No, this was this was an asset sale. So they, they they were they made that clear at the outset. They were not interested in my empire, <laughs> my you know, the the whole footprint. They were they were hockey. It's what what appealed to me. They said we're, we're looking for the hockey business and, of course, the software to go with it. So sure. they wanted they wanted those customers. They wanted to add them to their family, their sort of suite of technology tools, which were already pretty impressive. Um, and as a matter of fact, we already had some overlapping customers too, which was pretty cool. Right.
1: So if so, you're going in, and and you knew up front that. That this was a bit of a carve out, right? they didn't yes. want all of your business, including the right. professional services stuff. They wanted just league stat, which was a portion of your business, but not all. And and so when when you're going back and forth on multiple of revenue, you're aware at this point that they're just looking at the league stat revenue. They're not they're not gonna give you a multiple revenue on the other stuff. You're you're aware of the league stat kind of carve out
0: conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, from day one. That was never, never questioned. It wasn't even, uh, there was some, I I suppose for a little while in the conversations, there was some confusion. I I don't know that, that the other side, you know, the, 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 the people on the hockey tech side, I don't know that they realized how much other business I had. Um, they certainly did once we, you know, exchanged our spreadsheets, but, uh, but yeah, but that, that, that confusion was resolved very quickly.
1: And were you ever, Tempted to sell the whole business, including the professional services
0: piece? No, I wasn't. No, for one thing, I knew that the professional services would have very little value to anyone. My CPA buddy told me that early on. He said, Nobody's, he says, you're this tiny little business. He said, that, You know, if you're running a hundred million a year, maybe, you know, but uh, it was a, uh, yeah, small little business. Uh, the the relationships were 100% with myself or my partner or one of the staff. So that kind of a business really doesn't have much value um, it, to an acquirer or that part of the business didn't.
1: What was the structure of your deal around your personal involvement going forward? I mean, did you have to sign up for an earnout or was it? Uh- you know, like how did they structure the payment Once you'd agreed to it? Did did you have to stick around in order to get the money? Yeah,
0: I did. Um, And there was some chit chat about that too. I know I've heard, uh, so I I won't, I've heard since then I've been a lot, I've been involved in other acquisitions since that one. Um, And I know that there's a lot of ways to structure this, but what happened in this case was everyone was, again, it was pretty clear. I wasn't just selling this for money. I was selling this because I was looking for a way to expand league that. So part of the deal was that I want to come along. I'm going to bring, you know, all the, the technology staff needed to support this software, but I want to know that there's going to be an investment to take it to the next level. And honestly, that investment wasn't about me. It wasn't about my earn out or I'm going to get a bonus. I mean, hey, maybe I should have done all those things. In hindsight, I definitely should have, but I didn't. I literally all I had these blinders on it and all I wanted was, look, I'll come with the software and I'll stick around long enough to make sure that it stays on its feet. Um, But I also want to take this money, this investment and, you know, grow it like I'm not selling this to get rid of it and cash in. I'm selling this to to watch my baby get all grown up, you know, like that's what I wanted to do.
1: Yeah, I get it. So, so, so you guys agreed to a deal, which helped me understand the, the structure. So you agree to a multiple of revenue. We can't get exactly into the numbers, but somewhere between one and 10, probably not as far as 10, but more no. more than one. <laughs> uh, and so that's cool. And then did they say, okay, we're going to, we're going to pay you a portion of that now and a portion later if you hit a certain set of goals or was it we'll pay you a hundred percent now and we're going to put you on salary for six months or a year or two years. Like what was the, how did they compensate you for sticking around basically?
0: Yeah. So, yeah, two pieces. Uh, One was that the sale itself wouldn't be final, uh, nor would all the funds be transferred until um, uh, I had met certain obligations within the contract. So we set up a contract um, uh, that I was to come on board uh, full time. They they um, I came on. I can't remember what my initial title was, but I became CTO for Hockey Tech. Um, and uh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty simple stuff. So like we had the sale, we agreed on numbers. It was not going to really close for about a, uh, I can't remember if it was 12 months, 18 months, something like that. And there were incentives for another couple of years after that, um, which is kind of made me feel good. You know, uh, uh, maybe that's, maybe that was part of the ploy, you know, and again, I was not very savvy at the time, but it did make me feel good. It made me feel like I was wanted at this new company that I wasn't going to send Yeah. Yeah. There were, you know, incentives uh, in terms of, you know, uh, my equity, my stake. uh, And it was really clear. And the new owner made it super clear. He says he said, I value you. I want you here. And I'm going to prove that in this contract. So, you know, there was like I couldn't be fired. It was, you know, as long as I met the obligations, I had pretty much had a guaranteed job for several years. You know, it was it was really honestly really a pleasant experience. I know not every sale is, but.
1: You mentioned equity. Are are you saying that some of the way hockey tech bought your business was by giving you equity in their business?
0: No, that was more of a bonus. It's sort of an after the fact, like a thank you. So yeah, no, the, the sale was the sale. It was pretty cut and dry. And then the contract for, you know, my services sticking around that was, you know, there was like a small, you know, just a small thing in there to say, Hey, you know, like, like I said, it was all about good faith.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you mentioned it wasn't a year until the the deal kind of or the money extra changed hands. Was the contract, you know, did like it was literally just you showing up to work was the obligation and you you know passing over the keys to the server and stuff like that. It wasn't that you had targets to hit uh, in order to achieve the the pay you know the
0: the agreed to amount or or was it? Uh, A little bit of both. Um, so, you know, most yeah, it wasn't just me, you know, showing up. There were, um, I was, I was responsible for the customer base, you know, so uh, I'll just give you a crazy scenario because it it never happened and it was not going to happen. But if after, let's say three months, if literally every single customer had walked, um, you know, that wouldn't have been so good for the deal. Right. So, you know, there was a stipulation in there that, uh, you know, uh, it was, Everything was very reasonable. It wasn't like I was forced or required to double revenues or anything at all like that. But there was certainly an expectation that I wasn't going to do all this and then sell out the customers or, you know, swing a deal with a competitor behind the scenes, you know, all the, you know, all that kind of crazy stuff. No, it was, it was a very above board, uh, the kind of thing you'd expect in a contract like this, you know, we're paying you X uh, for this asset sale, you know, a portion of that you're not going to get until you meet the terms of the contract and the contract was super reasonable you know, there's a role here for you. We want you to fulfill your role as, as, as you would, as any employee would, there's, you know, a bonus may be thrown in. And of course, if, if things go to <laughs> go to crap, um, you know, there's also provision in there for, you know, that if I were to do something awful, you know, or, you know, the, you know, send away the, or steal away the entire customer base, things like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It- I, I, I'm, I'm digging in here because you know this. The, the pandemic has been such a such a curveball for so many businesses, where you know anyone running a company for ten years would, you know, very predictable, same every year, all good, customers are happy, and then all of a sudden you have a pandemic, and literally some businesses go out of business like literally overnight, right? Like restaurants in Toronto, didn't matter how loyal your customers were, how successful the business was. They were closed on April 1st, mm. 2020, and there was nothing you could do about it. So I'm curious from a risk kind of management perspective, like when, when you signed up for that contract that said, I'm going to show up for work and I'm, I'm not going to take the customers away and start a competing business, et cetera. Right, right. Like what was the, what was the threshold? Like how many customers could you lose or how much revenue could you lose? Like if you had lost I don't know, 20% of your revenue or 20% of your clients, would that have penalized the deal? Or was there sort of a threshold that you agreed to that said like, we're good as long as you don't drop X percent.
0: There was again a private sale. And I don't want to, um, I'm still very good friends, uh, with, with the, the owner. And so I don't want to give away any of his tactics or strategies or anything like that, but I will say, yeah, there was a number, there was an, a very specific number in there. And should the, you know, the revenue, um, because remember, this wasn't. Yeah, if it if it drops below this percentage, uh, there I don't remember what the penalty was. Because honestly, it was it was very generous. There was no way it was going to happen. And frankly, the reverse happened. You know, revenues yeah. went up every year. So,
1: and did you participate in some of that extra revenue? Like, it, were you able to get those bonuses or whatever when yeah. when you exceeded? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Again, again, uh, everything was was great. Like, uh, you know, I don't want to say this was a fairy tale. It wasn't. Uh, But things kind of rolled out the way we all expected. The software did well. The synergy was really good between the various pieces of IT in this company Were there bumps along the way. Tons, you know, lots of drama. You know, we had some staff issues and, you know, but mostly it was all good. It was really good. And and it did like we we had a, a wonderful trajectory. It grew. Uh, rapidly. Um, and we had really good feedback from our clients. And that was, again, on the personal side, I wanted my software to do well, but I, I've built, I built personal relationships. These are customers that had had some of them for 15 years. Yeah. Uh, and the last thing I wanted to do was screw them. And it, uh, I didn't quite the opposite. They were very happy. This deal
1: closed in 2017. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we've got four years of
0: water under the bridge. My question is- Well, actually, think, yeah, 2014 or 15 was when it when we Consumated. pulled the trigger, but yeah. yeah. Okay. But okay. I, so I left some... the company around 2017, 2018.
1: So. Okay, got it. So the deal closed six or seven years. It, it's irrelevant. My, my point yeah. is you've had some time to think about it. <laughs> yeah, I
0: have. <laughs> and,
1: and, uh, and I guess my question is, look, here's the deal. I think a lot of people listening to this will identify- really, really at an emotional level with your focus on the product, your focus on your customers, the fact that you weren't trying to maximize every dollar and you didn't go to some fancy business school to learn all these tips and tricks for how to sell business. Like, I think there's going to be a lot of your story that people are like, that's me. Like, I don't know anything about selling a business. I know everything there is to know about running my company. And I know all my clients, but I don't know anything about acquirers. Like, I think there are people listening to this Who will listen to you and they'll be like, that's me. Right. And so, my question for you is if you could rewind the tape, God, I'm dating myself and even saying that. (laughs) If you could rewind the tape seven or eight years and go through the sale of League Stat one more time, is there one thing you might do differently in the process that Perhaps other people about to go through the process that are a lot like you maybe should be aware of.
0: Wow, that is interesting. So one thing, if I had to pick one thing, um, can I pick two? Would that be sure, okay? Like, go, or one? Let's call one and a half. All right. Yeah. So I would probably have been uh, found someone, either my partner or a third party, to help with the negotiations um, in terms of just everything. In the end, I want to be clear. It turned out great. It was a wonderful experience. Uh, There no acrimony. um, But the reality is I was very inexperienced. Uh, My partner uh, actually had a lot more business experience than I did, but even he had never gone through an asset sale before. Uh, And I think that had we had someone else um, guide us through the process, let's say, Mm -hmm. um, it would have been better. It would have been better for us in the end. I don't want to be too cryptic here. I mean, when I say better, I think that it would have been better all around, better for hockey tech, better for us. I think that, you know, uh, like, again, money aside, you know, could we have negotiated a higher number? I don't know. That's, you know, to relitigate that now. Tough call. I can probably call them up and say, hey, how much money did I leave on the table? I've never asked. I don't I don't. Probably want to know, uh, but I think that uh, because I didn't know a ton, um, maybe there were different ways to structure it, different things I could have done. And and I remember because it was an asset sale, I still had another company, and I did find for a little while, uh, probably the first six to eight months, it was really hard. Like I was working somewhere else. I left my my old company. You know, all the all the employees, all the staff that didn't come over with part of the sale with me were still there they were still at the you know working for the the old company um doing their thing and so i struggled a little bit with that like you know i wanted you know, i wanted to be fully dedicated to this new experience but at the same time i had a going business there and i couldn't afford to let that go you know go belly up because True. i that it was a very significant asset you know of my own and and my partner was running it and that was awesome and he ran it pretty much solo for 3 years but again, that's something that I wish I had had, a, I don't know, maybe a mentor or someone my that my partner I could have gone to to say, no, 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 this is the right thing to do. And I don't know, too, it was a very weird sale, too. Like, not a lot of people do this, what we did, you know, sell just one piece of software, split the two partners in half, send one off with the software, and then the other one stays behind to do what? To keep running what was left over. It was tricky. Mm-hmm. It was tricky. Yeah.
1: yeah. You mentioned there were two things that you – might do differently if you had to play the whole thing over again.
0: Yeah. So one was, you know, the, uh, the mentor negotiator. And then the second one that I would do differently is, um, I, well, it's again, one and a half they're related. Uh, I would have found a better way to balance the two, the two roles. Um, I think I, I moved a little too far to one side. Like I, I dove into hockey tech once I went over, I loved it. Um, I had so like, it was, it was everything I thought it was going to be. It was so much fun. Right, like I was just loving it. They, they did invest. They, they came. They met. They, never mind the letter of the contract. It was contract was not. In the end, they never looked at the contract again. Like we just, it was full steam ahead. I was having a blast. Um, but I think I did a bit of a disservice to you know to my personal future by you know leaving my partner. Um, I don't want to say I left him alone. I didn't. I mean, we had weekly calls you know, I was always checking in. I had, you know, monthly, I still had to look at the books, et cetera. But I think that the second piece of that was that I should have, I should have maybe set things up a little bit differently.
1: Mm -hmm. And giving yourself a little bit more time. Yeah. A little more time. Yeah. Got it. It's, uh, I just really appreciate you sharing with such humility because I think, again, as I said earlier, I think so many people uh, are great at what they do, but don't have the opportunity to sell their companies and there's, there's lots to it as, as you found. Yeah. Uh, If people wanted to reach out and, and get in touch, is there a place that they can learn more about you or do you take LinkedIn requests or what's the best way for folks to reach
0: out if they wanted to say hi on social media? Uh, You hit it. LinkedIn. Uh, I do take LinkedIn requests. Um, I do a lot of consulting now, uh, which I love. Uh, and I'm back to my, my old it company. I do that as well. You know, so my partner and I are back together. The marriage has survived. Uh, <laughs> so, but no, LinkedIn is the best way to reach me. And I love chatting. Yeah.
1: Fantastic. So we'll put your LinkedIn, um, profile in the show notes at built to Cell radio, actually built to sell.com. And, uh, I really appreciate you telling your story. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me. I'll try that again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) John, thank you for having me. Thank Uh, you. (laughs) I did. This was a blast. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, man. Have a good one.
1: Hey, if you like today's episode, you're going to love my new book, The Art of Selling Your Business. The book was inspired by the cohort of my guests over the years who have been able to negotiate an exit far better than the benchmark in their industry, sometimes two or three times more than I would have expected. I was curious to understand the tactics and strategies of these entrepreneurs and what they do differently from average performers. The result is a playbook for punching above your weight when it comes to selling your business. To learn more, go to builttosell.com selling where we put together a collection of gifts for listeners who order the book. Just go to to builttosell.com slash selling. Built to Sell Radio is produced by Haley Parkhill. Our audio and video engineer is Dennis Labataglia. If you like what you've just heard, subscribe to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Just go to to builttosell.com.